Hi, everybody. I am Riley Daniel, and this is The Next Generation Voter, the only podcast of the next gen, by the next gen, for the next gen. Today, I will be discussing an issue that is critical for us as Americans to address without delay, racially motivated violence and white privilege. In the last week, we have seen videos from police departments in three different states using unnecessary violence to break up gatherings of African Americans, while similar gatherings of white Americans are responded to with the distribution of masks and gloves. After looking at this blatant racial double standard, I will be telling you the tragedy of Ahmed Arbery's lynching at the hands of two white men, and how our generation must be the one to confront these issues head on and create the positive change we seek in our country. In New York City, we've seen evidence of the police department not fairly and equally enforcing social distancing guidelines. For example, 2.5% of the people arrested for violating social distancing guidelines in Brooklyn were non-Latino whites, even though that population is 36% of the demographics of Brooklyn. They are disproportionately being let off the hook. And, on the other hand, in Christopher State Pier in New York City, a predominantly white crowd that was violating social distance ordering was given masks and a warning, while a smaller crowd in Manhattan of predominantly African Americans was broken up with arrests and violence, including Fernando Garcia's use of excessive violence. Fernando Garcia is an officer with a history of violence. The police department has had to pay out settlement after settlement to settle claims of him using unnecessary and unwarranted violence. And once again, he tased and beat up an unarmed black man simply for violating social distancing orders while the white people in Christopher State Park were just given masks. How is that fair? However, this is not a phenomenon exclusive in any means to New York City. In both Rancho Cordova and Los Angeles this week, Innocent African-American men have suffered at the hands of police forces over-eager to use violence to solve problems. I do not condemn police officers using force to protect themselves. That's a necessity of their job. However, the standards that they use to judge what constitutes a threat and what constitutes a reasonable action shift dramatically based on the race of the person they are watching. In 2019, of the over a thousand people who police officers shot and killed in the line of duty, 23% of them were African-American, even though African-Americans only make up 13% of America's population. On the other hand, white Americans, who make up over three-quarters of the population, made up only 37% of the victims of police shootings. That means that African-Americans are more than three and a half times more likely to be killed by the people who are supposed to defend them than white civilians are. This evidence of police bias based on race played out again this week in Indianapolis with the tragic case of Sean Reed, an Air Force airman who lost his life. Sean was pulled over by an Indianapolis Metropolitan Police officer for erratically driving. Shortly after, a chase ensued where, unprompted, an officer fired his taser at Sean. Thereafter, gunshots were heard and Sean lay on the ground dead. The entire incident was recorded by Sean on Facebook Live, as he had streamed it fearing for his safety, asking viewers to, quote, please come help get me. 
This innocent man was shot at a total of 13 times by an officer, who then crudely told his partner, I think it's going to be a closed casket, homie. That is just not okay. That's racist, and just, you can't do that. I cannot believe that in America, police officers would say something like that. It's just, it's infuriating. It's so disrespectful. This man was literally killed because he was a black man in a suspicious situation when many white men would have been treated with little to no animosity if they were in the same case. In fact, in Michigan, there was a similar case. A group of armed white men bullied, cajoled, and pushed their way into the state capitol to protest the shutdown orders designed to protect them. Despite the fact that they carried with them Confederate flags, swastikas, and nooses, they were portrayed in the media as freedom fighters. However, when groups of armed black men march in the street looking to achieve similar social change, they are described as thugs causing a riot. The difference in these two identical scenarios is a fundamental problem with American society. And until we solve it, we can't say that we have ended or even greatly improved racism. It's still there. You just don't see it. As bad as these examples of police violence are, a story has gained notoriety in the last week that is an example of the worst racial violence since the Charlottesville rally, the lynching of Ahmed Aubrey. Ahmed was an African-American man who was simply trying to jog through a predominantly white neighborhood in Brunswick, Georgia, after a tough day at work. During his jog, two residents of the neighborhood called 911 on him simply for looking at houses under construction and running down the street. Normal things that any other person would be allowed to do with no judgment or criticism. When one of the anonymous 911 callers was asked by the police dispatcher what Aubrey was doing that justified calling 911 on him, the caller could not give him a reply. That's because Ahmed wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just out for a jog, something that would attract no suspicion or concern if he was Caucasian. The fact that someone would call 911 on someone jogging just because of their race is something that severely disheartens me. We live in America, a country that is supposed to be a beacon of freedom. We cannot say we are a beacon of freedom if freedom only applies to certain people. After these 911 calls, three other residents of this predominantly white neighborhood noticed Ahmed running and got into their trucks and rode alongside the route. In front of him was a truck containing two of the men who were armed with a shotgun and a magnum respectively, Travis McMichael and his father George. Behind Maud lay a truck containing their accomplice, William Roddy Bryant. In a neighborhood with houses on both sides and trucks both in front and behind him, Ahmed was boxed in. He attempted to continue running, passing the truck containing the McMichaels, when Travis, the younger one, took the shotgun and shot Ahmed twice. After being shot at, Ahmed went for the shotgun to try and prevent himself from being killed when he was shot a third time, falling to the ground and bleeding to death. Police were called and tried unsuccessfully to save him before he bled out. This happened on February 23rd. Remember that date. Now you may be wondering, why are you waiting till now to talk about this? Well, this story didn't break into the public domain 
until it was released at the beginning of May, when the video was shown, showing in grisly detail the events of this day. However, the prosecutors in the county had had access to this video for two months prior to it being released, and they did nothing to solve the problem. Not even that. They showed no willingness to actually try and solve the problem. At first, the prosecutors tried to defend this cold-blooded murder of an innocent man as a legal exercise of Georgia's open carry, self-defense, and citizen's arrest policies. However, all those arguments clearly become implausible when you see the video. In the video, it is clear that Ahmet attempts to avoid the men and is shot despite attempts to disengage from the confrontation. If you don't believe me, watch the video yourself. There is no defense for their actions. This is cold-blooded murder. Case closed. So if the video clearly shows that these men murdered him in cold blood, why were they not charged for two months? Well, it turns out that Mr. Gregory McMichael has actually been a member of the DA's office at one point. So, the DA's office was simply protecting one of their own from murder charges for two months. That is a miscarriage of justice. After the release of the video this week, there has been enough pressure, fervent enough to even cause the prosecutor to finally charge the two McMichaels with murder. For this action, we have to thank the awareness campaign that has been led by our younger generation. Without us, this inaction would have likely taken hold for even longer before we achieved justice. This just proves that it is both our privilege to be able to change the world and our responsibility to do so. As Senator Kamala Harris said this week, exercising while black should not be a death sentence. In the past week, I've seen the ills of our society's response to racial relations and also the best evidence of the ability of our generation to be the next generation, the one to finally fix this problem that should have been solved 60 years ago. And that, for the first time in a long while, gives me hope in these dark times. To everyone who took the time to listen to my important reflection on race in America, thank you. I believe that just because you are not the victim of racial discrimination does not mean that you are not supposed to be part of the solution. Not knowing enough about the problem is no longer a valid excuse. I urge you all to educate yourself in any way that you think is best. Watch a documentary, read a book, look online, or help in person. It is up to all of us to end the discrimination that we have seen so strongly in the last couple of months. Only with the help of everyone can we make as much change as possible. It is up to the next gen to solve this problem for every generation that comes after us. Only with our hard work on the long march to justice can America finally be a place with liberty and justice for all.